The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, Giants fans. Ed Valentine here on the Valentine's Use Podcast, and today we're going to speak with Mark Schofield, who contributes to Big Blue View, host of other places. Mark's one of the uh, the better quarterback slash offensive minds that I know, and uh, thought we would get Mark's reaction to the Giants' decision this week to to fire former offensive coordinator Jason Garrett and uh, talk a little bit about where the Giants offense goes from here. Mark, how you doing? I'm doing well, Ed. It's great to be with you, my friend. I uh, wish it was under, say, different circumstances, but excited to be here. Excited to sort of talk about the Giants and where they go from here and, and Jason Garrett's tenure in New York. It's so ready to dive in. It, it has been a minute since you and I did a show together. It has been. It's been a while. It was, I think, preseason the last time we hopped on one, right? Well, you've been avoiding me or something, Mark? I, maybe. Maybe I've been. <laughs> um, I, think more right. than any, I think more than anything else, it's, it's you know, I, I said this, Jeff Risden, who we know and love, um, host of Detroit Lions podcast, and he had me on recently. And I, as I said to Jeff, I'm like the Dr. Death of football podcasts. Like if you're having me on in season or say late season on a team-based podcast, it's not good. It's not a good thing because <laughs> all likelihood I'm coming on to tell you what's wrong with your quarterback and or your offense and or start talking about draft quarterbacks. And so in that sense, I understand why some – might want to duck me because I'm not the bringer of good news. I mean, if your quarterback's playing well, you don't need me, you know, but if your quarterback's struggling, your offense is struggling, or you want to start talking about draft quarterbacks, that's when I get the call. All right. Show's over. We're done. There we go. <laughs> All right. We go. Hey, so actually, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head. You know, we, uh, th- there's a lot of, of those kinds of things that, that we need to talk about with the giants and, and Mark, I need to start with this. Giants fired Jason Garrett on Tuesday. You and I talked about Jason Garrett during the offseason. 
We did a show with Tony Rassiopi during the offseason discussing the idea of whether or not Garrett should be brought back for a second season as Giants offensive coordinator. We know the Giants were 31st in the league last year. We know there were a lot of things that weren't good. We also knew that there was really no offseason for him to install his program. I was in favor of Garrett coming back for a second season because of the continuity. I know you were. I know Tony was as well. So we start from we start from there. This is something that that we were in favor of with the Giants bringing Jason Garrett back, and yet here we are with Garrett not making it through his his second season. Um, as the year kind of unfolded, you could see this coming. So, or at least I could anyway. I mean, are are you surprised that? that in the end that with Jason Garrett, with Daniel Jones, with the New York Giants offense, the marriage with Joe judge, you surprised in the end that it just didn't work. I'm in a sense surprised that it didn't work. I'm not surprised that it ended this way, you know, given where the season had gone. I mean, you know, quick aside, I have a really good friend that's a Giants fan and he, you know, he sends me DMS and texts all the time asking questions about the Giants and he sent me a message yesterday at 12.53. What's the over-under on Garrett's tenure? That fourth and one call was brutal, to which I responded that minute. He's done. He's probably gone by December. And then 27 minutes later, or 28 minutes later, I text him back, okay, well, he didn't even last until December because we got the news. I mean, you could sort of see, and you and I talked about this a little bit, the struggles on offense, the, the struggles to get things going in the passing game, the struggles to get things going in the running game, they were leading towards this conclusion, whether it was at the end of the season, midseason, whatever, that, that Jason Garrett would be sort of the first to go. But to the bigger question, I am surprised. I'm surprised because when this hire was made, I thought it was a good fit for Daniel Jones. I thought it was a good fit conceptually for Jones. With the understanding, the idea that Jones, where he is as a quarterback, where he needs to go as as a quarterback, his potential strengths as a quarterback are suited to what we expect a Jason Garrett offense to to look like. But for whatever reason, that Jason Garrett offense never quite materialized the way that we thought. You know, you and I have talked about it. You and I have written about it and talked about it on shows. What we thought was going to be more of a downfield, Eric Coriel Garrett style offense was really sort of morphed into this heavy, conservative, quick game, stick concept, curl concept kind of system. And this past summer, what I did for Sports Info Solutions, sort of a, a data analysis project with a group of three other brilliant football minds, Dr. Bud Davis, Keegan Abdo, Joey Ferriola. Dr. Davis is a geologist by trade, but Joey and, and Keegan work at NFL Next Gen Stats. And we sort of graphed out and plotted and studied and analyzed what we called passing concepts. We started looking into teams that called more conservative plays versus more explosive plays. And by and large, last season, the team that called the most conservative plays were the New York Giants. And so, you know, that was something that caught my eye going into the year. You know, and now you see over the course of this season, you know, some more of those conservative style, you know, on schedule type of plays that Garrett was relying upon. Now, there were probably reasons for that. You and I have talked about some of it and concerns from a protection up front standpoint. You know, if you don't feel like you can get stuff blocked up, 
You don't feel like you can call plays that look to hit you downfield. And so, you know, there were a lot of reasons why, you know, this offense was struggling. Um, it's not all Jason Garrett's fault. I mean, are there things he could have done better? I think so. You know, are there things that he could have done to help guys like Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Tony get involved in the offense a bit more and generate some explosive plays using those guys, even if it's not deep throws, just trying to get those guys some opportunities in space, some mismatches in space. I think he could have done more of that. But the offensive line has struggled at times. The quarterback has struggled at times. Guys have struggled with injuries. You've struggled to establish the run or even have any sort of semblance of an effective run game. That's a lot to deal with for an offense. The easy thing is to get new fire, the offensive coordinator, you know, that's the easy rip a bandaid off kind of move that you can make in season because you can't fire the entire offensive line. You can't fire the receiver room. You probably don't want to make a quarterback change. And, and so Garrett was the one that would go first, whether that was deserved or not, you know, that really almost doesn't matter at this point because there will probably be more changes down the pike, but that was the one they could make first. It's interesting, Mark, that you mentioned the, the conservative nature of the Giants because I think that, it, in my view, there were kind of two things at play there. One is Joe Judge's conservative nature to begin with. I think we see that on fourth down. We see that in his game management. I think that's the way Joe Judge is. That's largely what he has wanted. The other thing is, I think, last week, Jason Garrett I think knowing he was under some pressure the last time he spoke to the media, he spoke about the fact that the Giants had failed to build a really functional and offensive line that that you didn't have to scheme around. And I'll be honest, I don't think that played well with Joe Judge when he when he saw those comments. And I know that that Monday night when things looked completely dysfunctional, obviously didn't play well with Joe. And I think that's when they finally decided to make a change. So, I mean, I I think that you could see that there was frustration there. Um, But what I want to do at this point, you know, the, the decision is made. Garrett is gone, whether they should have done it after last season, whether they should have done it earlier in the season is all kind of pointless at this point because now it's done and now is when they have to deal with uh, with, with going forward. Um, I did a piece today at Big Blue View which really listed four things or four areas where I thought the Giants had been falling short and needed to uh, to do better on offense. I kind of want to go through those, Mark, but, but before I do that, I want to ask your thoughts on Freddie Kitchens. Joe Judge is being really coy and saying, well, maybe I'll call the plays and we're going to do this collaboratively and I don't want to tell you who's going to call the plays. He's playing that whole competitive advantage card against the Eagles, which is which is utter nonsense because the Eagles know, you know, I know, the entire NFL, NFL world knows on Sunday afternoon, Freddie Kitchens is going to be calling plays for the Giants. It's still Jason Garrett's playbook per se, but you know, but Kitchens will be calling the plays. He's he's had a mixed bag, or he had a mixed bag of of success in in Cleveland calling the plays and and as head coach. Just from your remembrances of 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 Kitchen as a play caller. Uh, just your thoughts on on what what he might bring and, and whether this could work. 
I think it could work because I think what really sort of doomed Kitchens was putting all the head coach responsibilities in his lap. When he was sort of the interim head coach and, you know, the play caller for Cleveland, you know, I, I think he was put in a position where it was just, okay, your real, your real sort of focus here is the offense. You know, your focus here is play calling. And he really unlocked Baker. I mean, there was a moment where it looked like Baker was going to be a bust. He was going to sort of struggle. You know, he wasn't going to live up to the sort of hype, you know, but when he took over um, as offensive coordinator, as interim offensive coordinator, um, and Greg Williams was the head coach, they finished five and three. And, and Baker looked like a much better, a more complete quarterback during that time when he was the interim offensive coordinator. And, you know, I, I think then making him the full-time head coach the next season and putting all those responsibilities and he wasn't quite ready for that. He wasn't ready for the day-to-day of, of being an NFL head coach and overseeing it all. And he put too much on his plate and the overall offense really sort of struggled as, as conceptually, I think he's a fit for Jones and that he's more willing to be aggressive downfield. He's more willing to, to push the ball downfield. And he seemed very willing and open to the idea of putting the offense schematically in Baker's mind, in Baker's hands and say, look, what do you like to run? What concepts do you like? Let's all get together on the same page. And I'm not saying that Jason Garrett didn't do that because I'm sure he did. I'm sure he tried, but the kitchens has already shown him an ability to do that with a young quarterback with Baker. And I think there's an opportunity for him to do that with Daniel Jones. And so I think you might see, you know, some different things. You might see some tempo. You might see some more stuff downfield, a willingness to push the ball downfield, call some more aggressive and explosive plays, even if you feel like you can't get things blocked up because it's not like that Browns offensive line was the current version of the Browns offensive line. You know, they hadn't become that yet, but he was still willing to attack downfield. And so I think that's what you're going to see. I I think you're going to see a bit more aggression in the past game. So I I think there's a potential for this to work. Like he wouldn't be – my dream offensive coordinator for Daniel Jones and the New York Giants after firing Jason Garrett. But for the time being, I think it could work. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so let's get to the the four things that I that I wrote about on uh, on Wednesday morning at Big Blue View, and you know we'll go through those and and then I'll see if you if you have anything else to to add to my categories. And the first one that I wrote about Mark was really get the ball to the playmakers, get the ball to the right people. As you review Monday night's game. 
you see a screen pass to Kyle Rudolph. You see a screen pass that was intended for fourth string tight end Chris Myrick. You see a fourth down play with only one wide receiver on the field, and that wide receiver was basically third stringer Colin Johnson. No Kadarius Tony, no Kenny Galladay on the field. You see a game where there were six carries for Saquon Barkley. You look deeper at the season, and Kenny Galladay is basically averaging half the targets per game that he averaged in Detroit. Galladay's been targeted one time in the red zone. So what you're seeing is the old adage that coaches use is it's about the players and not the plays. But when you think about it, when you look at the way this offense has been running, it's it hasn't, at least to the way that to the way that I look at it, it hasn't been running through the right players all the time. And so, I mean, for me, that's the first category that 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 Joe Judge, Freddie Kitchens, that the Giants have to fix. Get the ball to the right players in critical situations. I well, I 100% agree with that, Ed. And I, I think in terms of things that Garrett didn't do and mistakes that he made, I think this is pretty much tops on the list. I mean, you acquired Kenny Galladay for a reason. You drafted Kadarius Tony in the first round for a reason. It was to get them the football, for them to be the playmakers. Those were supposed to be the two of the guys – that you would use to help Daniel Jones and elevate his play. But when you're dialing up, you know, whether it's these screens to tight ends or you're, you're running red zone fade to, to Kyle Rudolph against a corner, you know, in a high leverage situation, or, you know, you're targeting, you know, backup receivers down in the red zone instead of trying to get the football to these guys that you acquired for this purpose, that's a mistake. And, you know, if, if you look at say like one game where it's like, Oh, well, you know, we're matched up against the Rams and, and they've, they've taken Jalen Ramsey and they're putting on with Kenny Galladay all the time. So, so we went elsewhere because we had more favorable matchups. Well, okay. You can understand that, but this isn't a, a one game situation. This has been over the course of the better part of a season now where there's been a structural failing to get the football to your best players. This is a matchup-based sport right now. This is a matchup-based game. You watch any offense, you study any offense that's successful, and you will see concerted efforts by the offensive coordinator or the offensive-minded head coach that's calling the plays to design concepts and to call plays and schemes for their best players. You know, whether it's run in a three-by-one formation so you can get a player isolated on the single receiver side, whether it's taking a guy like Tyree Kill, putting them next to Travis Kelsey as the two inside re- receivers on a three-receiver trips formation to try to get favorable matchups, whether it's the use of motion pre-snap, whether it's the use of personnel packages where you know you go a, a 12 personnel package with the hopes that you're going to get an athletic tight end matched up against the linebacker, or if the team goes – you know, light with a four-two or three-six kind of defensive front, and you can play heavy bully ball and run the ball. Whatever it is, the smart offensive minds are using personnel and movement and shifted and whatever they need to do formations to get creative 
favorable matchups and then exploit them post snap. And, and that's an area where I think Garrett could have done better, particularly with those players. And it, you never quite saw it. No, you didn't. And before we move on to the next topic, I just want to say one more thing about Kenny Galladay and you can agree with it or disagree with it. Galladay is never going to be a guy who's going to make the prettiest releases off the line of scrimmage. And he's never going to be a guy who creates a ton of separation, but Lewis Riddick kind of said it Monday night. Galladay's a guy who doesn't have to have that separation. He's a big, strong body. He's one of those open when he's not open guys because he's going to win the 50-50 ball. So call the play, throw him the ball anyway, and, 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 and let him try to do what you're paying him to do. Yeah. I mean, when they acquired him this offseason, I said that, look, you know, he was a guy that wins in contested catches. Like, like he can operate at all levels of the field, vertical game, intermediate game, in, in the quick area. But part of the reason that he got this deal was because Matthew Stafford trusted him in contested catch situations. Like if he had a step on a receiver, if he had a half a step on a receiver, they found ways to still get him the football. Like there's a reason we use the phrase NFL open. Not everything is going to be wide open. Not everything is going to look like it's a Saturday afternoon down in, you know, Norman, Oklahoma, and it's Big 12, and guys are running free 40 yards downfield sometimes. It's not like that in the NFL. And so you have to take some risks with the football. You have to trust that this guy that you acquired that has shown an ability to win in those moments will do it again. Otherwise, what did you sign him for? Like, like if you weren't going to trust him in this mo- these moments, you know, why did you get him? Now, Maybe it was a Daniel Jones thing, but you'd have to think if, if, if it's all on the quarterback not making those throws, then there would be a concerted effort to get the quarterback to do that. And I don't see any indication that there was that concerted effort because it's not like there was suddenly a game where they threw 15 times in Galladay's direction. It seemed like it was the exact opposite. Right. And that leads me to the next topic that I wrote about on Wednesday morning, and that's red zone inefficiency, Mark. The Giants are 12 out of 27 in scoring touchdowns in the red zone, 44.4%, which is worst in the NFL. And for me, part of that comes back to the topic we've already been talking about, which is not using your personnel properly. There have been situations week two against the uh, against the Washington football team. Giants get a turnover with two minutes left at Washington's 20. You're paying Kenny Galladay $72 million. Throw him a fade and go try to win the game. You know, throw a ball up in the end zone. Let him try to go win the game for you. The Giants didn't do that. Galladay's got one red zone target all year. Um, look at that. I look at. You know, Evan Ingram's only got a couple of red zone targets this year. The Giants have had a very difficult time running the football, which which complicates things in the red zone because you just you, there are times when you just have to be able to hand the ball off and and get a yard. You know, when when you're in that area, but just just your thoughts on you know when you look at the Giants, what can they do in the red zone to to at least be league average and and score some points when they have the chance. Yeah, I mean, I I, I do think that running the football would certainly help. I, I don't think it's the be-all and end-all answer. I mean, this is still a passing league. This is a league where passing is king. Running the football would certainly help. 
you know, I, I know that there's this debate over whether you need to have a successful ground game to be successful on play action, which is certainly one of those things that can help down in the red zone. Now, the numbers show that you don't need a successful passing game. I mean, success, successful running game, excuse me, to be good on play action. But you need to do a good job of tying your run looks to your play action passing looks where, you know, if you're a heavy under center run team and then you try to show a play action look when you're in the gun, nobody's going to fall for that. You have to really tie it. I think the Giants have done some of that, but not enough of it. I think the red zone is a perfect opportunity to get guys like Galladay and Kadarius Tony involved, using Tony out of the backfield in those situations. You know, I I, I, I wrote last week about ways to get Galladay involved. I mean, Tony involved. And then you see the Vikings do what I was asking them to do with Tony, which was put him in a running back, run weak side option with him, get him isolated on a defender with a two-way go. It's, it's almost an uncoverable route. And that's something you could certainly do down in the red zone because you can manufacture an explosive play using a quick game concept. I mean, when you look at sort of red zone targets, you know, over the, over the course of the season, I've got that chart kind of in front of me. You're seeing Kyle Rudolph get consistent red zone targets week in and week out more so than guys like a Kenny Galladay who has the one, like you said, he's got more than Ingram. He's the only person that has more red zone targets is Sterling Shepard with nine. Rudolph has eight. When you're throwing red zone fades to, to Kyle Rudolph, that doesn't scream to me creative offensive identity. It screams to me. You're trying to like throw stuff at the wall and get it to stick. And certainly improvement in the red zone is going to be an issue for this team that they have to figure out. And I, I had one other thought as I was thinking about the red zone and I was thinking about the way that the Giants have approached it in sort of a, a traditional tight formation, slam the ball up the middle, you know, in, in the run game kind of thing. And, and maybe you can't do this all the time. I mean, Garrett said a few weeks ago, he said, well, that that sort of dive up the middle that's been a good nfl play for for a long time now it's worked for you know it's worked for decades and and that's just really old school thinking and i look at this giants personnel with really a backup offensive line playing inability to to really get a push in the run game and i keep thinking you get in the red zone you get where it's why not spread defenses out, change the numbers in the, you know, change the numbers in the box and use Daniel Jones's legs, change the numbers so that Saquon's got a lighter box to run into if you want to run and and help your blocking that way. And you preach it to the choir. Um, there is a school of thought around this sport today, not just at the NFL, but at the college and high school level, the idea that you spread to run. You know, the, the idea that you're going to line up at heavy 22 personnel or 21 personnel and run, you know, halfback lead, those days are gone. Right? Like, that's not where this sport is right now. You want to spread defenses out. You want to get those light boxes. You want to work a numbers advantage. And one of the ways you do that is involve the quarterback in the run game. And I'm not saying you have to use Daniel Jones like the team down I-95 is using Jalen Hurts, but you have to show that at times. You know, if you can come out with 11 personnel, get a 4-2-5 or a 3-3-5 with a lighter box, a six-man box, and then show that sort of potential QB run element, you're now playing instead of, say, 
six blockers on six. You really play at seven on six because that quarterback run element takes care of that backside edge defender. You know, and now you have a true numbers advantage where if your offensive line is struggling, you found ways to help them schematically instead of just saying, look, we'll, we'll trust our guys to win up front. We'll tw- trust our guys to win one-on-ones. There's no evidence that that's happening, or at least right. on a consistent enough basis to score points and win games. And so you have to do things differently, you know, and about those Eagles, look, they were up through weeks one through seven, the 10th most, they were ranked 10th in the league in terms of early down pass and throwing on first and second down. And it wasn't working for them. So Nick Sirianni took a step back. Since then, weeks eight through 11, they're dead last. They throw the ball on 32% of their first downs now, or then second downs. They're running the football and it, it, it is working for them. They, they've looked at what they did. They did some self-evaluation and said, we got to do things differently. You know, and if Garrett was insistent that, condensed formations and power football were going to work there's no evidence that it had so you had to sort of check the ego a bit and say okay let's spread about a bit we'll do things differently in the run game and maybe create some favorable moments that way and that leads to my next topic mark and we've been kind of talking about it because my next target my next topic was specifically the run game and we've talked about you know spreading defenses out to run a little bit you know we were talking mostly about the red zone but as we both talked about a little bit that's an area where the Giants have struggled all year I think football outsiders has them I think 30th in the league in run blocking Um, and we know they've struggled we know they're using a backup center in Billy Price and a backup left guard in in Matt Skura and a guy at right guard in Will Hernandez, who's just never been the player that that the Giants thought he would be when they drafted him. And Andrew Thomas has been really good. Nate Solder's probably been better than anybody thought he would be this year. But but you can't run the ball consistently when the interior of your offensive line is really a, a group of backup players. So for me. My, my question is, how do the Giants generate some sort of useful, consistent run game? And before I let you answer, I just had a thought. I was thinking about Wayne Gallman a year ago because the Giants ran the ball effectively, not tremendously, but effectively quite a bit of the time with Gallman. And, and when I think back on it, I think they figured out one or two things that Wayne Gallman could do. He could go straight. He could go north and south. He could hit a hole. He could push a pile. And they figured out one or two concepts that they could block. And they just, it was boring. It was repetitive. But they could execute those plays. And I wonder if, even though it's now Saquon Barkley that they're handing the ball to, I wonder if that's what they need to return to in addition to using Jones's legs a little bit, figure out one or two things they can block and just keep doing it. Yeah. I I think that's also a smart idea. And I think that's something that smart football teams and coaching staffs do. You look at September and October and you see what it is that you can do well on both sides of the ball. You see, who you could trust doing X, Y, and Z and who you could trust doing A, B, and C. 
And then as you get into November and December, that's what you're calling. That's what you're doing. That's what you're handing your hat on. I mean, you look at a team like the New England Patriots this year and Bill Belichick has always been a, I'm going to, we're going to play cover one. And we're going to play man, man free in the secondary. We're going to trust man coverage. We're going to trust our guys to win matchups. They're played zone like 70% of the time now. You know, they have wildly shifted their focus because that's what they do well. So I think when you look at the Giants in this run game, if you've got two interior run concepts that you can get blocked up, whether it's duo, whether it's inside zone, whether it's a wham, crunch, trap, whatever, hang your hat on those to at least get something going. And then you can build in sort of QB run elements off of it. You can run sort of, you know, GT counter with a QB read element. You can run counter bash with a quarterback read element. You can go inside zone, midline zone, midline option with quarterback run elements built off of that. And so, you know, simplify, 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 find what it is that you can do well. Because like you said, look, the, the, the real fix here is, you know, looking ahead and Kenyon Green from Texas A&M or Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa, like that, that's the real fix, you know, getting guys that can play in the interior, but they can't come. But the next seven games, you've got to figure out, you know, if, if you're Joe judge and you want the opportunity to draft Kenyon Green or Tyler Linderbaum or, or Evan Neal, if he happens to be there, then you have to do something successfully over the next yeah. seven games. Absolutely. So, and that's what it, I think that's right. You, you find two, three calls that work on the interior. Make sure that those guys can get those blocked up. You have some stuff that you can do with the quarterback built off of that. And that's how you try to attack this run game problem. And Mark, the last thing we have to talk about is is my favorite subject to always talk to you about and that's our our good friend number eight daniel jones and and i don't know you know i should have known when he chose number eight i should have known when he chose number eight that 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 maybe we had a problem here because number eight just never seems to work out for quarterbacks in the nfl i don't know why (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, Lamar's making a push with eight, but like, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a great quarterback number. It's not a great quarterback number. But, you know, when it comes to Jones, I, I, has he been good at times? Yeah. Has he been bad at times? Yes. I mean, we're in year three now, and we're about to have the same discussion that we've had for multiple years now, going back multiple summers and off seasons, where is he – Doing some things good, yes, but are we seeing the kind of developmental arc that we would like to have seen? No, no. And then you look at, you know, inconsistency with anticipation reads and throws, inconsistency with decision-making, inconsistency with, with ball handling and ball security. We're having the same issues over and over and over again. And part of the reason when we were on with Tony this past summer that, you know, Tony and I were adamant that you keep Daniel Jones. Was that like you said that word you used at the start, the continuity, right? You mean that you keep get you that you keep Garrett, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you want that continuity because you look at a team like the Buffalo Bills, Brian Dable and Josh Allen have been together Allen's entire career, and you're seeing the success that he had in his third season. You're seeing that year three leap, 
And Giants fans were like, well, we want to see Daniel Jones make that year three leap. So the continuity was going to be key to that. It didn't work, you know, and, and in some ways, Daniel Jones has kind of stagnated in terms of his development. Now, are there areas where he's still pretty good? Yeah. I mean, you look at, you know, despite the three interceptions when pressured this year, his adjusting completion percentage was 70.5 at PFF. That's fourth best in the league. There are still moments when he's okay in the face of pressure. You know, in terms of attacking downfield, you know, that was a strength of his last year. It hasn't been as big of a strength of his, say, this season, you know, in terms of adjusted completion percentage going downfield. It's not great. You know, he's sort of near the bottom of the league. And, you know, that's a little bit underwhelming. You would have liked to have seen that bit better, but that might get us to the the struggles of protection because, you know, his adjusted completion percentage when, when pressured this year, you have to really scroll to find it. So I'm not going to bore everybody with looking for it. It's 44th in the league. His wow. adjusted completion percentage when pressure. Now wow. he has five touchdowns, two interceptions when he's throwing over 20 yards, but 41.7. The only guys behind him, interestingly enough, Baker Mayfield, Dak Prescott, and Russell Wilson. But wow. you know, you've got guys like, you know, this is you have to go 20% of 53 passing attempts to even get Daniel Jones to qualify, which also might tell you something about this offense. But yeah, he's he's pretty low in that area, which is a strength of his last year. So that's a bit frustrating. But then ultimately, look, the decision-making, the anticipation throws, working through reads, working through progressions. These are all the things that we talked about with Daniel Jones for the past two summers. They're not at the level that they need to be to be a successful NFL quarterback. And the clock really is ticking, you know, because we're in year three. If you use the Bill Walsh standard of quarterbacks, get three years to figure it out. We're in year three now. And how much longer is are we going to wait how much longer, Ed, is he going to have? You know, this is Garrett might not be the only change. You know, Dave Gettleman, there could be a change there. And if a new general manager comes in, that's not that Jones was not his pick. Now, Jones may benefit from the fact that this is a bit of a shaky quarterback class, you know, and as Mr. Quarterback, as the guy that thinks that every draft should have 32 first round quarterback selections. I'm also sitting here telling you, I'm not sure this next group out of any of these guys, I'd be willing to start them week one. You know, it's, it's a different quarterback class than last year's, you know, you're hearing rumblings. You might get three, you might get four into the first round, but I think the guy that goes first out of this quarterback group might be graded 25th or so on at that team's big board. They just might have to reach for it really early. And so Jones may get the benefit of this weaker quarterback class. So it might buy him a little bit more time. But the clock is ticking. We're still talking about some of the same issues with Daniel Jones that we were talking about two off seasons ago. And so, yeah, I was going to say it, it is ticking, Mark. And the thing that's frustrating is if you look at the splits from his first four games this season, if we'd have had this conversation after week four, after the New Orleans game, we'd have said he's improving. He's getting better. Things are looking good. He just came off a 400 yard passing game, which you're not going to see every week, but you would have looked at the numbers and seen one interception in four games. And that interception coming on an end of half hail Mary, you would have seen very few throws that, that would be considered turnover worthy. And that, but then you get the concussion and then you get Saquon gets hurt and Andrew Thomas gets hurt 
and Galladay gets hurt, and Sterling Shepard seems to just stay hurt, you know, and and then you get the Giants' offense go into a shell, and and I wonder two things. I mean, is are they asking too much of Daniel Jones? Are they asking him to, you know, to 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 carry too much? And, or I just wonder, you know, and maybe he's pressing, maybe he's trying to make plays that aren't there. Or is this just what Daniel Jones is? Is he just a is he just an athlete who's going to make some plays with his arm? He's going to make some plays with his legs. Deci- decision making is always going to be a challenge for him. And is he just one of those sort of middle of the road or worse quarterbacks? who needs everything around him to be right, you know, to, to run a successful offense. I mean, the question becomes, everybody says, well, we haven't seen Daniel Jones with, with a, a supporting cast yet. We haven't seen what he can really do. But the more I watch him this year, the more I start to wonder if we already have our answer on Jones and, and what we see is what he is. I mean, I, I think that's kind of where we're going to end up here. Um, and the way I like to bucket it, the way I like to phrase it, our, our mutual friend, uh, the brilliant Dan Hammond, looks at it this way as well. Guys you win because of or guys you win with, you know, at the quarterback position. And, and the guys you win because of are the guys that, you know, like, like a Brady who obviously, look, Tom Brady, greatest quarterback of all time, but he's throwing to guys like Bethel Johnson in an AFC championship game. And, you know, yes, slot receivers, Wes Welker, Julian Edelman were, you know, Patriots Hall of Fame type players, not NFL Hall of Fame type players, but Patriots Hall of Famers. But, you know, he's making it work with those guys. He's, you know, spreading the ball around to, yes, he had Rob Gronkowski for a time, but, you know, there were some tight ends before Rob Gronkowski that weren't exactly household names, but he was making it work. I mean, those are guys that you win games because of, that sort of find ways to, Make those three to five throws to use a Matt Waldman expression, also a great mutual friend of ours, a game that make the difference between winning and losing. And then there are quarterbacks that you win with guys that need the scheme to be right, need the pieces around them to be right, that don't consistently hit on those three to five throws per game that make the difference. But maybe they hit on one every so often that helps you win. But they're they're the guys that are more the the trailers rather than the tractors to use the, the Daniel Jeremiah phrase, which is they're not tractors. They're not pulling everybody there. They're not pulling everybody to the promised land. They're along for the ride. And that might be Daniel Jones. Now, you can still make the playoffs with that kind of quarterback. You can still win a Super Bowl with that kind of quarterback. But you have to kind of value that player differently than the guy that you're going to put the big contract extension in front of. And with Jones coming up on his fifth year option, that's something that they'll have to consider. But yeah, you, we might already have our answer. Jones is the guy you win with trailer type of quarterback that needs everything around him to be good. And if not, you're going to have some struggles. Could well be Mark could well be. I mean, my guess is that no matter what happens around, around him in terms of front office, in terms of head coach, I think that the situation that you referred to in the draft, plus the fact that the Giants have no cap space to go out and, and make a trade for one of those big-name veteran guys who might become available, I think he winds up getting a fourth year. Yeah. But, I'm not, but I'm not optimistic that that 
at this point that that fourth year is going to be great. I think, I think he gets it by default, but, uh, but I, like, like we said, I think maybe at this point, maybe we have our answer as to what he is. I, I think that's exactly right. Like, we, we've been waiting for the breakout. We've been waiting for the year three leap. Now we're wondering around a, a year four leap. I mean, this might be the situation now, you know, could, could he have some sort of leap here down the stretch, or maybe he could have some sort of year four rebirth. I mean, certainly not going to rule it out, uh, but we've now got almost three years of evidence here, what we're working with and the results or per, actually the lack of results kind of speak for themselves. It hasn't changed a whole lot. So, so at, at some point you, you have to, you have to say, this is what it is anyway, Mark, thank you as always, always a pleasure to talk to you. Let's uh, let's not, let's not make it three or four months. No, uh, the, the no, next we gotta time. Do this sooner. I mean, we got to do this sooner. I mean, we're going to have some senior ball stuff to talk about. We're going to be talking about some interior alignment and things like that. And I, I actually listeners, you need to understand something. Ed reached out last week. He's like, what, what do you want to write about this week? And I was like, should we do, should we, should we do the quarterback breakdown? Should, should we do the draft quarterback discussion? He's like, no, no, we will hold off on that. So our fearless leader is holding fast, but maybe that conversation happens a little bit more down the road, but either way, let's, let's not make it as long as we did this fast go around. Right. Oh, that, that quarterback discussion is coming because <laughs> even, even if even Mark, even if it's, even even if we wind up framing it in a little bit of, of what we talked about already, it's like this is why the Giants have to stay with Daniel Jones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, because look, Kenny Pickett yeah. has had a tremendous draft board rise. He's played himself into the first round, and we can give our, our mutual friend Tony Rossiopi a ton of credit because that's one of his guys. Um, Kenny might be the guy, the one guy that I'd say look and start week one. But you're you're going to want a bridge, and do you want Daniel Jones to be a bridge guy here in year four? I'm just not so sure that that's the direction this organization goes with all of the other needs they have. I mean, you might double dip on interior offensive line in the first round. I mean, you might do it that way. Certainly, certainly wouldn't argue with that approach. Maybe we'll make you a GM. Oh goodness gracious! <laughs> I don't think anybody wants that. I had somebody ask, say I should be the next OC of the Giants, and I said even that's above my pay grade. Uh, I'm happy to be a quarterback coach. I can do that, but GM, OC, that's that's not me. Well, no, we'll, we'll make we'll make Hatman. You know, we'll, we'll make Hatman the GM. We'll, I'll, I'll be the head coach, and you can be the uh, and you can be the OC, and, and we're good to go. Uh, you know what? I feel comfortable <laughs> with that. Let's ride. Let's go. I feel comfortable right. with that. All right. Hey, Giants fans, thank you as always for listening. Our thanks to Mark for spending uh, spending some time with us and, and dropping some some great knowledge on us. Have a great holiday, Giants fans, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.